episode 123 of the pilot the pilot podcast takes off now Good morning. My name is uh, Chief Warrant Officer 5, Troy Golier. I'm the Command Chief Warrant Officer of the United States Army Recruiting Command. Uh, I'm originally from Southwest Harbor, Maine, and I attended college in uh, New Hampshire. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today, I am talking with someone quite special and something that I never thought would ever happen on the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. But today, I am talking with the United States Army. I'm talking with Chief Warrant Officer Five Troy DeGoyler, and we are promoting and helping promote the United States Army with their hiring days coming up. So, hiring days, you might be asking, what is that? Well, between the days of starting today, June thirtieth to July 2nd, the Army is looking to fill 10,000 positions and over 150 career fields. Now, you might imagine that the Army goes out and likes to recruit a lot of in-person recruiting, and this is uh, the coronavirus has been strongly hindering that effort. So between June 30th and July 2nd, looking to fill over 10,000 positions. Some of the benefits of joining the Army, you have 4K in tuition assistance per year, scholarships, loan repayment, GI Bill, up to 40,000 in bonuses, competitive pay plus allowances, retirement savings and investments on the list goes on and on. I'll post this on my Instagram as well if you're looking for more information, but looking to help out the Army. National Hiring Days, if you have ever felt the need and the call to serve, check it out. They have some great programs for for aviation as well and a great way to get in the door and not have to worry about paying for your ratings. But today we're talking with uh, Chief Warrant Officer 5. It is a great conversation. We really focus on his story. We talk a lot about where he is today, how he got there, why he joined the Army in the first place, and uh, he tells some good stories about how he found himself in the Army and how he kind of made his own path there to get to where he is today. So if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review. I want to give a special shout out to Michelle from the Army for reaching out to me and just thinking about me and letting me help. Um, when I was playing football at Ohio State, Ohio State was huge in preaching about uh, the Army and our military and the importance. And just um, I have the, the utmost respect for anyone that, that goes and serves in the Army or Navy or Air Force, whatever it may be. So I'm truly honored that they reach out to me and I would love to help them in any way. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, like I said, please Please leave us a review. Check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. You can also email me any feedback, Pilot the Pilot HQ at gmail.com. But even nation, without any further ado, I want to go ahead and get this episode started with Chief Warrant Officer 5, Troy Digoiler. Troy, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin, how are you? I'm doing great this morning. Great. I'm, uh, I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, I'm so thankful Michelle reached out to me and gave me the opportunity to, uh, to share your story and share a little bit about the Army and what they have going on for the, for the next couple of days here and, and recruiting. But um, I wanted to start off a little bit with you. I wanted to kind of get to know you, make it a little bit more personal, maybe do something that hasn't been done necessarily before. Uh, who are you? What, what is Troy? Who is Troy? Where did, where did Troy come from? I know you mentioned it before where you're from, but like, just talk a little bit about yourself. I was originally, my dad was in the army. Uh, I was originally born in Lodgestuhl, Germany. Uh, my dad was a uh, engineer officer stationed in Germany. And my mother uh, was from Southwest Harbor, Maine. And my dad got out after his first uh, enlistment uh, in the army. He was actually ROTC in college. He went to the University of Maine and, and, uh, and then got his, uh, his commissioning. But uh, when my dad got out, we moved back to Maine, uh, and I grew up in the same town my mother grew up in. So on the coast of Maine, uh, if you're familiar with Bar Harbor or Acadian National Park, it's in that same same region of Maine. 
So uh, I've had for a very early time in my in my life, I've had a uh, an interest in aviation, probably from about uh, I don't know junior high school time frame. I just had this fascination and love for aviation, and that really led me to my career in terms of where I went to college. I went to a small aviation college in Antrim, New Hampshire, by the name of Hawthorne College. It used to be called Nathaniel Hawthorne College. They dropped the Nathaniel shortly after uh, I started to attend. And um, I worked, or I, I went to school there. My degree was in, uh, studied aeronautical science and was flying airplanes uh, in pursuit of that degree. So I, I started in 1981, uh, graduated in, actually it was kind of on the four and a half year program and I'll kind of explain that here in a second. But yeah. um, I started in 81, was part of their aeronautical science program and then halfway through my sophomore year, they brought in a rotoring program. And really that's kind of what led me to helicopters. Start flying, they, had, uh, they brought in, uh, I think it was four or five R-22, Robinson R-22s, started flying those. Eventually uh, dropped the airplane uh, just because my heart was was really in flying rotor wing, yeah. and ultimately flew those right up to to my into my junior year, where even back then it was very expensive, and I was kind of forced to drop out of the program and and change my major to aviation management, uh, which is what I ended up my degree, my bachelor's degree in. But still had a love for flying helicopters. And that's what kind of drove me to join the army. You bring up an interesting point and a question that I was actually just about to ask. So you come from an army family and you're born in Germany on a base, I'm guessing, I assume. Uh, you come back here, you find out that you love aviation. Was When you found that love for aviation, was in your mindset, was it, I want to join the army, I want to serve and fly? Or was it, I just want to fly and see where it takes me at first? No, that's a, you know what, that's a great question. Because it, my dad, when I was visiting schools, I, I went to another one by the name of Daniel Webster, also located in New Hampshire, actually Nashville, New Hampshire. And they had also had an uh, a, uh, aviation program there. So my dad was trying to get me to go Air Force ROTC uh, when we went there to visit the school and he had been through ROTC in college as I mentioned and so he said hey this is a great program you know it's it you know they'll help you pay for the school you know you'll get your commissioning upon graduation and and so forth and so on and I was just it was just nothing I really wanted to do and it wasn't until I became I'd say probably the end of my junior year ran into a classmate friend of mine and he and I said, Hey, you're, and he was graduating early. He was graduating about a semester early. And I said, Hey, what are you, what are you doing after graduation? And he goes, I'm joining the army to fly helicopters. I said, what are, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, the army's got this program. Uh, it's called Warrant Officer Flight Training Program. And we come into back then we used to call it uh, high school, to flight school. Uh, and then eventually we found out that most of our applicants had college degrees. And so we kind of, now we call it, we refer to it as street to sea. <laughs> so, um, so he's telling me about this program. Uh, it was into my junior year. I go back to my hometown for my summer job, go to the recruiter. And I say, 
hey, tell me about this program. I'm, I'm kind of interested in it. And he told me about it. And he had just left an assignment at Fort Rucker, Alabama. So that's the home of Army Aviation. And he said, I, I just left Fort Rucker. I can, I can absolutely run you through this program. I, he goes, I know exactly what you need to do to get in the program. So that was kind of the, you know, that, that kicked it all off. That was the start of the process uh, at the end of my junior year. And, and now here I am over uh, 33 years later uh, as an army, a master army aviator. Um, and you know, I, I wouldn't regret a minute of it. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's say here's like kind of a hypothetical question. Let's say the, the school you went to never got a, never received helicopters. Do you think in an alternate universe where this happened that you would not find yourself in the army and you'd be flying for an airline or something? It was tough. It was tough back then. You know, now you got to think, you got to think that in the mid eighties, the majority of the pilots out there that were flying that, especially at the airlines, uh, and even the rotor wing pilots out there for on the, the civil side, you know, there's a lot of Vietnam pet pilots that were filling those jobs, Vietnam era pilots. And so I think that's kind of what led ultimately. Uh, that's it. So it was tough. It was tough to get a job. As a matter of fact, I've got my one of my best friends from college is a captain for UPS, has been with UPS almost as long as I've been in the army. But I remember his you know, his kind of, you know, climbing the ladder to get to becoming a captain for UPS. And it's, it was a long road. It took him about 10 years yeah. uh, to, to get there, uh, to get hired on. So it was a tough time to get aviation jobs, flying jobs, both, you know, certainly on the, on the civilian side. So I think that's kind of also what kind of led me to the military now had to back to your original question, had they not brought in broader wing program in my sophomore year, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would have ended up, I don't know what I would have done. I think, I think I may have ended up more along the lines of the management side of it, because that's what my degree was in. Mm -hmm. So on the more on the airport aviation management side of the house, I probably yeah. would have ended up something that, you know, in that, in that field. It's really interesting to, to even look back on your life, especially when, when you have the opportunity to, uh, to not persuade, but to recruit people, to talk to people, to tell them about the army. But when you look back on someone's life, there's, there's so many things that happen that lead you to where you're supposed to be and supposed to go. It's like you said, like all of a sudden that school just happened to get helicopters and you're like, wait, I really like helicopters. And then your friend happened to tell you about the army having this program. And you're like, well, I, that sounds really great. I want to do that too. It's just really funny how things, even in my career, as I've seen it, and, and football and flying, how it has played out and uh, everything kind of, it almost seems like it works out, but you, you take what comes and, and you go after it and, and it seems to work out. Right, exactly. And then there was a, there was a period of my time. So I, I you know, I went, I was, I was deployed to Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And then after, and actually prior to that, I was deployed to Operation Just Cause, which is when we uh, went into Panama and, and uh, overthrew, um, uh, Noriega, General Noriega in Panama. So those two deployments, and they were kind of back to back. I had about, there was, I think I got back from Panama in January of uh, 90 and then, um, and then deployed in August for Desert Shield, Desert Storm. So by the time and spent almost about nine months on that deployment. So I've, 
by the time I got back, I was like, okay, this active duty stuff is not for me. Uh, and, and so I started going around to, went back to New England and started going to the Guard and Reserve and even the Air Guard. You know, I really, I, you know, my, one of my favorite airplanes, uh, Air Force airplanes is, is the A-10. And I really, really wanted to fly A-10s. Um, and I met with a squadron commander and, you know, it just, it just didn't say, I said, Hey, you're, you've got a rated army aviator coming to you wanting to fly a tens. Uh, and he's pretty much saying, yeah, everybody wants to do that. It's so many <laughs> words. So, um, but needless to say, you know, I, I kind of got over the, I got over that, the, you know, that part about just not, you know, not wanting to be on active duty anymore. And, and my career kind of turned around and, and I had some great mentorship throughout that time, uh, in my career and, uh, in my life. And, you know, I just kind of stuck with it. Yeah. And as I said, you know, I got the, I got Apaches right out of flight school. So 1988 started flying alpha models. And then in 2004, uh, upgraded to to D model Apaches, deployed to OIF three uh, in Iraq, and did a year there. And then uh, back in 2017, most recently, uh, upgraded once again to E model Apaches. Um, so I'm E model qualified. Unfortunately, you know, in the recruiting command, you're there's we don't have we don't own any aircraft, and and I think my flying days are, are numbered at least for the army. Oh, anyway, no. we need to change that. We need to to get you an yeah, aircraft, have you fly around, do some flyovers. You know, yeah, <laughs> Flex exactly. The muscles a little bit. Um, that well, I, I want to say first, thank you for your service. I didn't say that yet, but I appreciate it. Uh, oh, it is definitely you. something that is you, you accepted the call, and not everyone can do that. So I really do appreciate that. It is uh, it is very awesome that you do that. Uh, second. I want to go back a little bit to, to back into like college when you're, when you're deciding to go. So you're, you're right now you're in the spot of kind of recruiting other people to come to the army and you were once in the spot of being recruited. Did you need to be sold on it or were you pretty much all in kind of, what was that process like? Yeah. So, uh, I was probably the, the easiest recruit, uh, my recruiter had because I actually walked into, we, we refer to us in the business. Now we refer, refer to us as, as walk-ins. So I was a walk-in meaning that somebody comes into the, the, the recruiting station and wants to join the army as opposed to not really knowing whether they want to join the army or not. And then meeting a recruiter and then the recruiter kind of lays out, you know, all the benefits, uh, what the army has to offer, and, uh, which I'll expand on here, uh, in a little bit, but, um, so yeah, I was an easy sell. Um, you know, I came in and, and said, I knew exactly the program I wanted to be in. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And, and fortunate for me, he supported it. Uh, he knew all about the program and was able to do it. And then, so that's kind of been, you know, one of my challenges and, and I'm in my second year of doing this, this job is whenever I visit recruiting stations throughout the country, and I've been to about 80 of them uh, throughout all throughout all, almost all the states in the, in the country, as I go in and I talk to recruiters and I, and I ask them about, you know, I kind of give myself as an example. I said, you know, how many, and I ask them all, I said, how many warrant officer flight training program candidates have you put in? And very rarely do I have 
maybe one or two uh, that have done so. So part of my job in this position is is to kind of make people aware and educate them and know that that hey, there's there's this great program out there. We are the only service. Uh, Justin, that that offers now the Navy had a pilot service, but we are currently the only service that offers basically you can be a pilot um, with a high school education. Uh, you don't need a degree uh, and you can do it or literally you could do it. You know, I've got a friend of mine that that joined. Uh, I think he joined when he was 17, went off to basic when he turned 18 and then straight to flight school and retired as a master aviator at about, I don't know, 30, 35 or 34 years old. You know, it's just, it's a great opportunity. And a lot of people don't know about it. I didn't know that. So you're the only one. It makes sense thinking about it, but you're the only service that offers that coming right out of high school. And I'm guessing it's pretty cool. Some 18 year olds are like, hey, you want to be an Apache pilot? And they're like, uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I know it. Yeah, exactly. It's cool. Yeah. So yeah, before we get into the army, I still want to ask about like you a little bit. So you were in, you, you knew what you wanted to do. You knew where you wanted to go. The service who was in your position that was recruiting you kind of knew how to guide you. Cause he just happened to be right from that department, which is kind of funny. But, um, what was your experience like from the beginning to the end of the army? And I'm guessing you've loved it since you've been there for so long, but I, I know going into service and maybe it wasn't for you, like you said, but all around it, I mean, being around like a community of guys, being around guys and girls, being around uh, flying helicopters, flying missions. Uh, what was your, your whole experience like? What was uh, from beginning to where you are now? So uh, I will tell you, uh, and I'll be honest with you, because I was, because I was not what we consider prior service, because a lot of our, a lot of our warrant officer pilots or army aviators, we do select from within the service. So we, we and, and a majority of those come from aviation uh, jobs within the army. So let's say they were a Black Hawk crew chief or an Apache mechanic. Uh, we, we, we pull those guys in just because, first of all, they're very familiar with the aircraft, right? They've either worked on it or they've, or they've crewed it. And so for me, when I first joined the army, I didn't have any of that experience. So other than basic training, so it was a tough go for me, I'll tell you. Uh, and I didn't have a whole lot of mentorship. Now, once again, you got to kind of remember back that time frame. So now we're talking, you know, we're still talking mid to, uh, or actually late 80s, early 90s, and where we still had Vietnam pilots in, in the Army. You know, there are senior pilots had been, you know, W1, CW, or uh, CW2s, junior warrants within uh, when they were in Vietnam. So the, it was just a different time. Uh, there was a real lack of, of mentorship with those guys. Uh, all, you know, they'd, they'd been either deployed, uh, or, or had done a tour in Vietnam either at least once or twice. And so they just didn't, they didn't really care about bringing, you know, junior war officers up through the ranks and mentoring them. So I had a kind of, I had a tough go of it at first. And I think that's kind of what led me to kind of possibly look at going to the guard or reserve. But I tell you, it was about that time where I had guys, uh, some peers and and then so forth, some senior warrants kind of take me under their wing, no no pun intended there, <laughs> and kind of kind of show me the way, show yeah. me what it you know 
what it would take, what I would do to be to have a successful aviation career as a warrant officer in the United States Army. And really, that kind of started it for me. And the, I mean, first of all, just it, you know, being an attack helicopter pilot in the Army is pretty cool stuff. And just I mean, you know, you've got I've got long life friends that are now. You know, just based on how long I've been, you know, most of my, most of the guys I came in, I would probably virtually say that all of them are no longer, they're all retired now. But I can tell you that, uh, you know, close bonds, I mean, especially if you're going to war with a guy uh, or a gal, um, you know, you build, you build quite the bond um, and it's, it's that bonds forever. And so there's a, you know, there's just a, a lot that can be said for that. I mean, when I leave the army, the day will come at, at some point when I leave the army and, and I've, I've been told this by those that have left it before me that you will never have what you had back when you had, when you were in the army in terms of just the, you know, I, I think the the movie Band of Brothers, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's really what it is, and it's brothers and sisters, really. But yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 just phenomenal. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can imagine. I can only imagine. I mean, obviously, like, I'm not in the army, but I can only imagine the bond that you have when you're when you're going every single day. Is it, you don't know how it's going to end. You know, it could uh, you're going into battle with each other. So yeah, I could definitely imagine that. When, um, when you are, so let's say you're, let's go back to when you're in the army before you're getting deployed, obviously, you know, there's a chance you're getting deployed. What's the mindset of someone in the army, uh, an Apache helicopter pilot, when they get the call that they're finally getting deployed, what's your mindset going through there? Is it like shock or is it, are you knew this was coming? You're excited. What's the typical mindset? It's, uh, so it's, it's for an attack helicopter guy. It's, it's pretty exciting because you finally get to do what you've trained for. So we do, you know, we'll do aerial gunneries and be qualified to fire the weapon systems on the aircraft. So you finally get to do what you've trained to do and what your job is in the army to, you know, deploy and do that. Um, you don't see that quite much, that much on the lift side of the house. And I, when I say lift, the utility side, so UH-60 Blackhawks mm-hmm. or CH-47 uh, Chinooks, because they they do other missions they have other missions that they can do both peacetime and um and wartime but for an attack helicopter guy that's you know you train and live to 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 go to war i mean um now you know that's not to say you know that's that's what you want to do but that's what you've trained to do right you know what i'm saying that makes sense yeah i know exactly what you're saying how many missions how many active missions did you fly i don't know if you're allowed to say that or not a, a lot uh, i mean <laughs> too I've, many I've to lost count. track yeah so in terms of my deployments i've um so as i stated earlier so uh, you know deployed back in uh let's see that was 89 so 89 90 for panama and then 90 91 for desert shield desert storm uh, I've been to Iraq. I've been to Afghanistan. Uh, I spent uh, about 10 months in Bosnia uh, as the first uh, aviation unit into Bosnia uh, when the Dayton Peace Accord, after the Dayton Peace Accord was signed. So I've done multiple deployments, been to Korea twice, 
uh, two separate times. Uh, like I said, I was uh, in Germany for three years, uh, of which that 10 months was in Bosnia. Um, so I've uh, been to outside of um, OIF in Iraq. I've spent a year in Saudi Arabia, a year in Kuwait. Jeez. So uh, I spent a lot of time. Uh, I got a lot of Middle Eastern time uh, under my belt. I mean, all great experiences. Uh, you know, I, I can look back on them. You know, they may not have been great when I was actually doing it. But uh, I can look back on it and and as part of my career and be pretty proud. And, uh, and certainly, you know, the, the good thing about it is uh, I got to serve with some great men and women uh, across all branches of the military. And then also, uh, you know, just work on my my personal and professional development. And it's, it's been great. It's been a great opportunity. How hard is that? I know this doesn't get talked about as much and it's obviously a key part, but even when I, when I talk to people about uh, having a wife or a partner or a husband or a family, it's very difficult in aviation on its own. It's very difficult if you're an American Airlines pilot and you're gone five days or you're gone like 20 days a week or not a week, a month, but uh, you take it to the military side and you're talking, you're gone for, for a year. You're gone for, for multiple months and years at a time. And what kind of, I guess, just like your experience with, with the family side or seeing it. Cause I feel like it's important to talk about like trying to find someone that can be willing to, to be okay with that. Cause it takes a special person to be married to someone in the military, you know, to, to be able to sign up for that. Well, I thank you. My wife would thank you if she was here uh, and she would appreciate that also. It's, it's tough. I mean, you know, it's, that's, that's kind of the, Unfortunately, it's the nature of the beast. I've, you know, fortunately for me, I've I've had a, a great support from my from my spouse, and uh, you know, there was a time where you know we we've been married now twenty one years and spent five of that um, away from each other. Jeez. Uh, so, but there was a time when you know we were married ten years and ha- almost half of that was spent away from each other. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It comes with its, uh, you know, it comes with its stresses and, uh, but you, you know, you kind of just, you got to work for it, both sides, you know, both on my side and her side, uh, but we've made it work. Yeah, I, I have friends. I have friends in the Air Force. I have friends in the Army. Uh, one buddy flies Blackhawks. I have a friend who flies uh, in the Air Force. I have a friend who flies in the Navy who used to fly the E-6 and then he transferred over to helicopter side and he's doing pretty well over there. But it's just, it's a lot. I mean, they're, they're always, not always, but they're they're out, they're in, they're back. They're, they're It's just, they seem to, it just seems like a very crazy career to be honest with you looking yeah. at the outside looking in but I mean I guess it's something you get used to you know it's kind of um and when, when I played football or when I was in uh 135 on demand it's like uncontrolled chaos but maybe a little bit controlled oh, chaos yeah. in your end but you get used to it you kind of like learn to love it you know you kind of do and you know I'll tell you that she she will my my wife will tell you that when I left to go to Iraq during OIF3 was probably the hardest actually I'm going to back that up the first time I left where we were uh, apart was Korea. So that was, that was different because that was the first time we were apart. Yeah. It's, I'm not going to war, but there's, you know, there's always the potential uh, to spend a year in Korea. But she said the hardest part was going to, um, going to Iraq. 
Now, all those years after, you know, my year spent in Kuwait, my year spent back in Korea, my year spent in Saudi Arabia, she said all those were, were easy, relatively easy, because like to your point, you know, you kind of get used to it. Okay, you're going back to Korea. Okay. Yeah, I know what that looks like, you know, so I know kind of what the challenges are with the, the time change and being able to call and, you know, all those all those nuances with it comes challenges that come with being stationed in Korea when you're when your spouse is back here in the States. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean they, she kinda got used to it. Um it, you know, was it was it fun? No. It yeah. certainly wasn't fun and there was some some stress and some challenges with that. But at least like you said, you kind of become a little bit used to it. Yeah, you definitely do. It's uh, yeah. uh, kind of just got to go with the flow. You know, you don't really have a choice at that point. Right. Exactly. What would you say was the most difficult tour for you personally, whether it was the, the flying, whether it was just being gone? Because I know you kind of said that you figured out throughout these tours that this isn't really what you wanted to do. You don't always want to keep going out on tour and uh, being called out for duty. What would you what would you say was the most difficult one? I'd say probably the, the, uh, I want to say the year I spent in uh, Kuwait and I was at the Army Central, United States Army Central Command. I was stationed uh, in Kuwait and um, that was tough because I wasn't there. I was there. I wasn't flying. I was a non-flying job for a year and um so that probably had a little bit to do with it, but I think it was kind of just to find my way in terms of what I was, what I, my job was at the time was I was the standardization officer for the units that were being deployed to support Operation New Dawn. Uh, so at the end of OIF, uh, Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom, the new operation that kind of took over, kind of did some stability there in Iraq was called Operation New Dawn. And so all the units that that came over to support that mission and, and the majority of them were uh, Guard and Reserve units. There were certainly some active duty units also, but the majority of them were Guard and Reserve and they would train in Kuwait and then go up and then spend their year up in Iraq. And so... I was the I was in charge to ensure that all their training was to standard, all their training that they did in in Kuwait, and then all the flight regu- regulations that that they needed to adhere by, both in Kuwait and Iraq, were that they understood them and that they were in compliance with those flight regulations. Sounds like a stressful so, job. <laughs> so yeah, so that was, and then of course you also had uh, there was you know a lot of requests. Uh, you know they wanted to do familiarization flights and and Apaches were German generals and things like that, and they, I'd have to get a you know uh, approval general officer approval for that and so there was a lot of administrative type uh duties and responsibilities in that and that i just you know i just not that i didn't like it it just uh for me it just wasn't my cup of tea per se and it just you know i think that i had some frustrations uh with that job but uh, and the, and plus, uh, the fact that I wasn't flying also, that's hard, just man. kind of le- led to it. Yeah. Aviators need to be in the air. You know, if you keep them on the ground for too long, they go crazy. And I don't know if you ever done dispatch duty or not, but think about, you know, all of a sudden you're a pilot and then they say, okay, now you're, 
a dispatcher, yeah. you know? Like, wait, what? Yeah, no, exactly. I want to be in the plane, in the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you bring up uh, the regulations because, I mean, I only really fly. I fly in the United States. I fly with the plane I fly in. We have planes that go all over the world, but I mainly stay in North America, some South America. Every country has different rules, different regulations. When you bring it into the Middle East and uh, Asia, where you were in Europe, there are probably even more different regulations. Did you find any one country or one kind of set of rules that you just thought was the more difficult to work with or maybe you were a little bit odd and you didn't understand why? No, uh, I think that, you know, Korea is pretty, that's, that's, you know, that's kind of a joint, there's some joint regulations there for both the Korean military and, uh, and the U S military that's over there. So, and that's pretty established. I mean, that's, that's been around since the end of the Korean war, of course, but, um, you know, some of the, some of the challenges that you have in the Middle East, because you're, you know, you've got host country stuff that you have to worry about. And then you've got on the military side, um, you're, cause you're still flying under army regulation for, for us, you know, for me. So I've got to adhere to those army regulations and whatever theater uh, standards and regulations have been put in place for that particular environment or that particular uh, area of operation. So um, it is, you know, you're constantly reading that. You're you're constantly, you know, okay, was that, you know, was that Kuwait or was that, you know, Saudi Arabia? You know, so uh, luckily, you know, that was the whole thing for me being there is that, you know, that there's one, there's one standard, uh, for most part. Um, and like I said, there are different nuances with different countries over there, but at least in terms of United States army aircraft operating in, whether it's Kuwait or Saudi Arabia or Iraq, you know, we try to standard that standardize that stuff as much as possible. Definitely. That makes sense. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, going to, to where you are now a little bit. So you, how did you, did you get the voice out? Did you eventually kind of get out of the flying based on how well you're doing? Or did you have to go to kind of like your, the person at the top or whoever controlled you and be like, Hey, I kind of want to do this. How do I become, how, how do you progress, I guess, from, from being in, in, a, in the helicopter to where you are now? So I'm going to back up, kind of give you a little, a little bit of, in terms of army regulation. So as a, as a warrant officer, uh, as an aviation, actually all warrant officers, but you can do 30 years as a warrant officer in the United States Army. Now, if you were prior service or prior enlisted service, you can do up to 40 years. Um, so for me, you know, I came in right off the street. So minus the time I spent in basic training and flight school, I could do basically 31 and a half years total service before I hit what's called a mandatory retirement date. Okay. And then, so for me, that was 30 November of 2018. I hit my mandatory retirement date, but it just so happened that I was working for a general officer in Saudi Arabia, uh, my boss in, Gen uh, in Saudi Arabia, and he was selected to command the United States Army Recruiting Command here in Fort Knox, Kentucky. And so when he was selected, he, he uh, asked me to join him here um, to represent the warrant officer cohort in terms of recruiting, because most of our 
all on the tech side, as I explained earlier, all those guys are in service and gals are all, all in service. And then also be able to, as I've gone through myself personally, is to kind of take a look at the how we how well we do it and how we do our one officer flight training programs applicants and select and select them so he brought me on board um but to do that because i was going beyond my mandatory retirement date i had to get into a program that's called the retiree recall program and that's to come in after that mandatory retirement date doing a specific job for a specific time period so it's in this recruiting position for for basically two years and it's really that's kind of you know what i'm i'm here to do is kind of be the advocate for for recruiting warrant officers within the united states army and then also being able to look outside the army you know there are are street deceiters that may have an interest in becoming army aviators so for someone, so say someone listening to this right now, they're sitting in a Blackhawk, sitting in Apache, what's the, how does, how do they progress in their career? Like how, how would they get to where you are now? Is it based on relationships you create and kind of trust that you create with uh, the people above you or the people you're serving with? How does that usually work? Sure. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah. You know, it's all about opportunity. It's about, uh, it's about the jobs that you've had, the relationships that you build throughout your career, and certainly how well you're able to do those. It's, I mean, it's, it's not un, unlike, you know, the corporate world for that matter, uh, or the civilian world. So, you know, I'm here because I've, I, I built a relationship uh, with a general officer that, that had an opportunity to bring me on board to kind of get after uh, and support one officer recruiting within the army, uh, which we, we, you know, we, we had of a program to do that, but he's, we didn't have any real leadership to be able to kind of look at it and take a look and, and be able to say, Hey, we could do this better over here. Uh, or, you know, let's change this and, and see what happens in terms of the quality of, uh, warrant officers that we're recruiting. Okay, cool. Um, how is it? So when you're done with this, you're officially out of the army, I'm guessing there's no more like secondary retiree recall or is this, uh, is this there a- actually, actually there is. So for, uh, yeah. So for aviation warrant officers, you can be recalled for three years. Okay. Uh, and I think the reason they, they, have it through most most warrant officers uh the the program is for a two-year program however they allow aviation warrant officers three years um the regulation so right now i'm on a two-year recall but could possibly do a a third year um so kind of taking a look at that if there's value added uh, and keeping me on board or not. Is your wife back home? Like, come on, please just come home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she actually, she kind of is. She's like, are you sure? You yeah. know, because yeah, exactly. That's but funny. The thing about her is she's from Kentucky and we're living in Kentucky. So oh, this she's, is great then. Yeah, yeah. So she's, I was like, all right, so, you know, are you telling me you want to, you know, leave the army and go do something that may send me out on the West coast. And she's like, no, uh, <laughs> she doesn't want any part of that. So, yeah. What would your life look like outside the army? Would it be uh, completely retired? Would you try to fly some on your own civilian wise? What would you do? Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure. Uh, I certainly, 
I, I would certainly be open to uh, getting back in the. I mean, I miss being in the aircraft, mm-hmm. uh, rotor wing aircraft. So I, I, I would absolutely consider that. Um, but just based on, you know, based on the, my last couple of jobs within the Army, uh, where I've kind of got, I've kind of got away from the operational side of the house. You know, if if I was to get it climbing an Apache tomorrow, I, I'd be lost. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I might be able to start the thing and, and, and take it off and fly it around. But when it comes to, you know, some of the systems on board, I, I'd probably have to, you know, I'd be fat finger in some of those things. But, um, so, you know, it's, you know, we, a lot of my peers will go to, they either go one or two routes. Uh, once they retire, they'll either go, uh, Department of the Army civilian jobs, uh, which we have a multitude, you know, some of our flight instruction um, is done with Department of the Army civilians and or contractors, defense contractors. So those are typically the two kind of two roads that you have to choose from some, you know, you can kind of bounce back and forth uh, of that a little bit. But, you know, in terms of to continue your federal service, you know, you want a uh, you want a army civilian job is yeah. what you're looking for. So, department of the army civilian job. So, um, but typically, you know, on the on the contract side of the house, you know, if you're flying, if you're working for Lockheed Martin versus, you know, a government. Uh, job, federal job, then you're you're probably gonna, you know, the pay is probably gonna be a little bit better on the on the contract side of the house. <laughs> That's funny. I was just the, the next question was gonna be, what did you? What was the most fulfilling part of your career? And I was gonna say, was it pay? Was it kind of the duty to serve? Was it uh, being with friends, being with your brothers and sisters out there serving? What kind of made you the most satisfied with uh, your career so far and what you've done? It's uh, it all comes down to so uh, you know being an attack helicopter apache pie you live for the guy on the ground right so you're living for that soldier or squad that's on the ground that's uh in downtown baghdad or that's that's getting shot at um and that's kind of that's that's where your job satisfaction if you can if you can support the guy on the ground so he can return home safely uh, to his family or her family. Uh, that's that's makes it worth it. So we, you know, I can't tell you how many we call we call them ticks, right? Troops in contact, and 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 so we call them nine one one calls. So nine one one troops in contact, and and we're you know we're pulling the guts out of it to get on station and get them cover overhead cover. Uh, and you know when a couple of Apaches show up, and you're sh- you know you're the bad guys shooting at good guys on the ground, you know you don't want to you don't want to hang out yeah. uh, when a couple of Apaches overhead. So that's really where the job satisfaction came in for as an attack helicopter. I mean that's kind of what you live for is to support those guys and gals on the ground. What was the most dangerous part of the job being an Apache helicopter? Was it uh, the terrain? Was it uh, the actual adversary with RPGs or anything? What was kind of the biggest threat for you? I'd say it, it kind of, of course, it depends. But, <clears throat> you know, wartime, absolutely. You know, you're worried about, you know, uh, 
ground to air stuff. Uh, you're worried about small arms fire. Uh, you know, being in the desert, you're worried about you know some environmental stuff, of course, uh, dust and and so forth. There, um, weather is can be horrible uh, in Iraq. Uh, of course, it can be horrible in Afghanistan too. I mean, that's got its own challenges with uh, with the altitudes, but. Um, I mean, so it's kind of all encompassing, you know, whether it's the altitude, whether it's uh, the enemy um, looking to take you out or uh, or it's the environment looking to take you out. And then and, and then and then throw in, you know, throw in some night flying on top of that. So yeah. uh, flying at night, whether you're, you know, flying NVGs, uh, night vision goggles or you're flying for the Apache, it's a flare system. Um, which is our primary mode of night flying. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's challenging. And I'm guessing there's, there's, no doubt some, about it. there's some fatigue mixed in there as well. I'm guessing you don't sure. always get your eight hours of sleep every single night. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. I mean, no, it's a, it sounds like it can be a very full, fulfilling career. Like you said, like you have a job, your job is to go, go save, it's essentially save someone's life. You know, they're under, like you said, they're ticks. That's a funny thing to call them from. I've never heard that before, but yeah, you have to go save their life. You want to make sure you bring them home to their wife, to their husband, to their kids, whatever it is. And you have a job, you have a duty and you go out and you do that. And I'm sure when you do that successfully, and that just has to be one of the most fulfilling things in the world. And it's dangerous. I mean, you're putting your, your life, on the line you're putting the people in the plane the helicopter's life on the line to go to go save them and help them so uh like i said earlier i appreciate your service and that, that's amazing and I, yeah it's just uh it's just a whole different life than what we have on the civilian side and what i normally talk about so we we really appreciate it yeah no it's uh you know and i've i've met some of those guys you know i've met in in my especially in the last year you know recruiters that were you know, that were downrange and uh, previously and said, you know, when they find out I fly Apaches, I was like, they'll say, yeah, I, I remember when I was getting, you know, shot at and uh, either Iraq or Afghanistan. And, you know, I had two Apaches show up on station and, and, you know, just, you know, and then uh, a lot of times that will lead them to want to become army aviators and it's not just the apache guys it's also the black hawk guys too That's awesome. of course or the Chinook guys yeah that is really cool i mean yeah i can yeah. see that kind of like full circle be like well i want to go save someone's life now <laughs> they have me exactly. help and, them I, out. and i've run into those guys yeah. that that's exactly what they want to do yeah. All right. So I think that's pretty good for your story. Do you have anything else you want to add or you want to, you want to bring up? At yeah. All? I want to kind of, if you, if I got a few minutes here, I just want to kind of hit on this thing that we're called. Uh, so the army's taken on this event that's called the army national hiring days. Uh, and it starts tomorrow and it runs through to the second of July and what it's based on. So I'm going to back up a little bit. So it's, so the McDonald's, that did this back in 2011. And what they tried to do is they tried to hire 50,000 individuals to join McDonald's. Uh, and they were at, I believe they were successful in, in their efforts and allowed them to increase their workforce by 7%. So the army saying, Hey, this is a great model. So we're going to take on this model. We're going to, we're going to, because of COVID-19 and, and some of the restrictions that have been placed on the Army in terms of how we recruit, because although we started recruiting virtually, you know, virtual domain, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're looking for that 17 to 24-year-old, those, 
Z generation young men and women that are out there and we want them to come join our squad, right? And so with that, our Army is going to have its Army National Hiring Days. We're looking to bring on board 10,000 of those uh, great men, young men and women of our country into the Army. Uh, and we're, we're, we're offering some bonuses up to $2,000 for those that are, that are qualified to, to join the Army. Um, and it's, it's a, you know, we're going to, we're going to tell them about our comprehensive packages in terms of our medical, our dental, our educational. So GI bill, our housing benefits. So all the benefits and not only that you get to choose from over about 150 jobs that the army has, uh, available out there. So it's a great opportunity, uh, for the next three days to come on board and, um, you know, serve your, serve your country. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, uh, and not only, not only are we doing this, uh, on the active duty side of the house, uh, Justin, we're also, this also includes the guard and reserve too. So even if you have your, your job out there and you still want to serve, you can serve either in the national guard or reserve at a part-time basis also. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, we've got some great programs. Uh, you know, we've got, uh, student loan, uh, repayment up to, uh, $65,000, um, for, for new soldiers. So it's just great. And, and then, and then also with that comes, you know, certification, accreditation of, uh, of very, you know, whether it's medical or for even for us, you know, I got my, I got my AFAA rotor wing commercial instrument when I graduated flight school. So, you know, those, all those, all those benefits that come that are, that transfer over to the civilian side of the house also. Michelle sent me one of the, uh, Army benefits and it says education, 4k and tuition assistant per year, scholarship and loan repayment, GI bill, Money is up to 40000 in bonuses, competitive pay, plus allowances, retirement. And uh, the list kind of goes on and on and on of other stuff you can do. Yeah, it's just, you, you, you kind of don't realize it until, uh, I mean, when you live it, it's one thing. But you're, you know, if you're just a, a young adult out there trying to, trying to figure it out in this COVID-19 environment that we're kind of restricted to. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely an option, especially when you don't know, you know, you don't know if your job's still going to be available, uh, how right. it's going to be, you know, now we've got a kind of a resurgence of, of what's going on with COVID. So it's certainly, uh, another opportunity to, um, uh, you know, for employment. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I had a, uh, I wanted to kind of run through a little scenario a little bit, like say I can be an 18 year old coming out of high school right now in this time. And you can kind of give me the cell, the cell and the spiel of becoming a, uh, maybe a uh, army aviator. But I had a question before that. So this is just, I, I mean, I've been through recruiting with football. I mean, it is different, but I'm guessing it's the same, right? It's the same thing. You are there to sell me on your team, on your squad, on, on your dream, on your vision. And with football, there is always kind of like they'd say something and then when you got there, it can be completely different. Um, what is it like? Cause I mean, I'm guessing recruiting in a way you can kind of just be seen like that of you would do, you would tell them anything to get them to join the army. Cause you need to, to hit a certain mark. You need to hit a certain amount of bodies in the army. Do you find that as a, 
actually happening in there? Do you find recruiters are very straightforward and just like, Hey, like it's going to be hard. You're, you're going to be very uncomfortable for a certain amount of time. Like, I mean, this is going to be like a building process, kind of, I guess the mindset of the recruiter and the person being recruited in that. Right. So that, uh, you know, that, you know, once again, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's, I think for the most part, I think what, we try to be as transparent as possible mm-hmm. uh, within recruiting, and and it's really kind of setting some expectation, some expectation management for that young recruit, so they understand what it is that they're signing up for, what it is not also with that, but also what's available to them, and it's really giving them the information needed to make a a just a, the best decision for themselves. So, you know, first you got to be qualified to become join the army. You know, so so there's some physical requirements that are that you know may uh, that are going to be required, of course. Um, and then, you know, you may. You may want to be an Apache pilot, but for whatever reason, whether it be part of your testing um, or your physical limitations, it doesn't qualify you to become an Apache pilot. Right. Uh, so then what's okay. So let's say that's, that's the case. Then what other options do you have? And with that, okay, let's say I, I can't be an Apache pilot. I can't be a one officer. I, I don't qualify for whatever reason to become, be selected for the one officer flight training program, but I do to become an Apache mechanic. So maybe if, if that's really what I, I want my career field to be in aviation, maybe I join as a mechanic first and then that may open up some some doors and give me some other opportunities that I can that I can get to where I can apply to become a, a warrant officer uh, and then ultimately become an Apache pilot. So where you may not get exactly what you want coming out of the gate, there, there almost every single instance, we're gonna, there's a pathway there to get you to where you want to be and what your ultimate goals are. I'd imagine it'd be hard as a recruiter, especially in the army when, like you said, you can't guarantee, like you have to sell them on a goal, sell them on an idea of like, you want to be an Apache pilot? Like, yeah, we can make that happen. But you also need to meet this criteria or you need to be selected. You know, it's got to be, like you said, I think you said manage the expectations and make sure you don't make sure you don't overwhelmingly promise that they can do something because you never know what could happen in the future and what the needs are. Uh, I'm guessing when you said you could select over 150 jobs, I'm guessing that is also based on kind of what the army needs at that time correct that's it no that's exactly that's a great point so that's that's exactly it that's exactly right because you know everybody you know you you want to be an airborne ranger well not everybody can be an airborne ranger right um you know and there's a high demand for those um and everybody wants to be one and so but the army only needs x amount of airborne rangers right um now, do we need infantry soldiers? Yeah, we do. So that's your pathway. Hey, why don't you join as an infantry soldier? And then that will, you know, if you if you do well at that and and you're and you're good at what you do as an infantry soldier, chances are you're going to be given the opportunity to go ranger. 
Uh, so once again, it's, it's all about uh, establishing yourself and then figuring it out. And then, and then ultimately, you know, following that pathway to whatever it is your goals are. As a recruiter, does that recruiter maintain a relationship throughout the career of say the person that joins the army or is it like, uh, um, say they're your point of contact and then you kind of lose contact with them as they go. Is that common or as it usually well, works? I think, I think it depends. I mean, um, you know, I really didn't have a whole lot of contact with mine, but I can tell you that there's very few, I mean, I still remember the, uh, you know, my, my recruiter was, was Sergeant Baxley. So I, I, I mean, I remember his name still today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, I, I think it just kind of depends on the individual. Um, but there's certainly, you know, the way we're trying to do it is we're also, you know, to have build relationships. So it's build relationships, trust, not only, uh, just not only with the, with the applicant, but certainly with their family members. So we call, you know, we call, refer to them as influencers, right? So <laughs> mom and dad, uh, or sister, brother, um, uh, or husband, wife, you know, you're joining the army. Yeah. You've got influencers out there that may say, you know, that's not a good idea or I don't think it's a good time to do it or whatever. So it's, it's, you know, we're trying to win the, the hearts and minds of those individuals also and, and tell sit mom, dad down and say, Hey, this is a great opportunity or for your son or daughter to, uh, to join and serve the country. And Oh yeah, by the way, they're going to, they're going to learn a trade. They're going to learn a job. They're going to have a job. They're going to have all these benefits that come with that. Um, and, and to know that the leaders of the army are going to, are going to look out, out for them. You know, they're going to have their best interests at hand. Who would you say is the harder person to not, I don't want to say convince because that's probably not the right word for it. But obviously when someone walks into a recruiter, you kind of have it in your mind, like they're here for a reason. They're interested. Like you should be able to get them to say yes, based on some of the stuff you said. But I'm guessing the harder part is the influencer. Like you said, is the mom, is the dad, the brother, the sister, the girlfriend, the husband, the wife. I'm guessing that they are the ones that how are the harder sell for some of this. Is that correct? Right. So, you know, in wartime, <clears throat> of course, you know, they don't want to send their their son or daughter to go off to war. Right. But the army has a bunch of jobs that aren't combat arms um, that, you know, they may never depl- be deployed. Now, I will tell you that, you know, the number one job in the army as a whole is to fight the, the United States wars um so uh and win those wars so yeah we all go through basic training we all get qualified on on a weapon system and that's why we join you know that's why the taxpayers of this country has an army and Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what it comes down to but there's a bunch of jobs out there that don't require you to be and if not everyone's going to be an infantryman like infantryman like right. we, we talked about um so, so it's a, i don't know if that answers your question but i think it's um <clears throat> just there's other opportunities out there yeah. and so at wartime it's it's for the influencers you know they don't want their son or daughter to go off to war and i get and i get that you know we we personally don't want to have to do that also but that you know, when the nation calls, we have to do it. So, 
um, because that's why we're in the army. So outside of that, and more recently, it's COVID because I think there's a little bit misunderstanding that under COVID, you know, my son or daughter is going to be more apt to, to get to get COVID, uh, contract COVID-19. And, and really, I could tell you right now, the, the amount of screening that goes into and testing that goes through for a applicant to join the army and go off and train at basic training is much more than they would get if they were just going to some civilian job somewhere. I, I was just, it's, it's crazy yeah. the amount of screening that goes on. How has uh, basic training changed with COVID? I don't know if you have that information, but I'm guessing it's uh, it's a little bit different than what it was before. There is, they're kind of keeping everybody, you know, once you're, you're getting your squad, your squad, you've got the same drill sergeants there. There's, you know, there's some segregation that's going on just for that. So in the event that someone, comes up hot they're not you know you're not taking out the whole training base so there are some some protocols that are certainly in place that are getting after that i don't know specifically but yeah. there is you know there's screening testing that's going on on a daily basis they try to segregate in terms of um you know, different squads training together and so forth and so on. So you're not going to have a whole lot of cross, you know, cross training going on gotcha. for that that's, reason. Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, one question I had about recruiting just in general, what has been the hardest kind of, what, what's been the biggest difficulty for the army to recruit aviators? Would you say, because in, in the past you said most pilots at Fly for Airlines were military aviators. And as has, um, we have progressed throughout the years, it kind of seems like maybe that's gone down a little bit because more people see the opportunity to become a pilot civilian and go that way. Has that hurt the army in recruiting aviators? Or is it kind of the competition between army, navy, air force, and all that? Has that been harder? Right. No. Uh, yes. I mean, there's a program out there that that specifically is looking for army rotor wing pilots and making them airline pilots. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, you're, and I'm sure you're well aware of it. So, and that goes across all all branches of the military. So, you know, as our Vietnam air pilots all retire. Um, you know, it's, we end up with a pilot shortage, uh, across, across the country. And it's not just on the, the private sector or, uh, civilian commercial, um, but also in the military. And so, you know, we have to incentivize our pilots to remain with us. Uh, so there are some things that, uh, we've done to, help curve that a little bit. So incentivize in terms of bonuses. So bonuses to say on that, you know, as a, as an aviator, it's, that's really driven by, um, <clears throat> where we are by airframe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we're short Apache pilots, of course, those guys are going to be offered more money than let's say a Blackhawk pilot mm -hmm. per se. So as we incentivize, uh, or increase flight pay, that's another one. Um, so there's just different things that the army is, is, is done, uh, or continues to do to kind of try to keep its, its force again, but it's tough. You know, when you're, yeah. when you're talking about a shortage across the country, it's, it's tough to maintain the, the numbers, you know, you just can't, 
you just you, the numbers just don't support it. So, but that's that that, that goes across the board. And it's got to be really tough when you can see when someone that's 18 years old can see a 23 year old being a captain or 24 year old being a captain at a regional airline making pretty good money. It's kind of that's got to be a hard sell to be like, hey, come to the military and maybe you'll find a pat. You know, like it's just it makes it a lot tougher. No, you're right. You're right. And you know, you join the you know for the warrant officer side of the house, you're you're joining to be. You could become, you know, we've we've taken, we used to board for our fixed wing pilots, right? So you were a rotoring pilot. You're going through, you know, you go through a tour um, or several tours as a rotoring guy, and then apply to be a fixed wing guy, and so and that's a board process. But now we we make flight fixed wing guys right out of flight school. So, um, and then that's based on, you know, what aircraft you end up in coming out of flight school depends on, uh, uh, basically how well you do in, in flight school. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and then back to your point, what's the requirement? You know, my, when I went through flight school, my flight class had, it was, I believe it was six, maybe eight Apache slots. So out of my flights class of whatever it was, I think we started out with 50 or 60, uh, roughly eight, eight of them, uh, you know, eight slots for Apaches. Now that's not a whole lot. So, um, and then, you know, back then we still had Hueys and we still had, uh, uh, 58s. Uh, Alpha Charlies and D model 58s. So uh, we had a couple more airframes to choose from, but you know, majority of class going through is going to be typically it's going to be a Blackhawk pilot. Um, and then after that, nowadays it's going to be a Apache. And then uh, you are just because of the amount of the number of airframes available, you know, each class is going to get a handful of uh, Chinook CH-47 slots. So, But it all depends on how well you do in flight school, uh, what your class ranking is, where you are on the uh, order of merit list, and then uh, what aircrafts are available. Yeah. So, I guess uh, kind of going on this too, do you find the Army has a disadvantage of in this atmosphere right now, say like pre-coronavirus because they don't have fixed wing airplanes because maybe it's easier for someone going from the Air Force or the Navy that has fixed wing time to transition to an airline down the road or do you think that doesn't really hinder you guys too much in, uh, in getting talent and getting uh, pilots? We like to say that we have you know more fixed wing than the Air Force does and I think by total numbers I think we do but um, so there's certainly fixed wing opportunities out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we've got jets, you know, we got Lears, we got Gulf streams, uh, you know, we got, uh, C-12s, which are, uh, beach craft. So, um, so a lot of fixed wing opportunity out there, but, you know, certainly we're up against, we're up against, like you said, you know, we're up against the, the Navy and the air force, the coast guard, for that matter, for yeah. 
vibe for those those jobs also so yeah it's an interesting time it's definitely different when you're being recruited where like you said it's like though you cannot really get a civilian job you know it's kind of you go to the military you get your hours and you, you serve your time and then if you want to get out you go to an airline and that's kind of how it was and it's it's just so interesting how things change over time and when you're when you're in that moment you probably never thought it would change but here we are and, and you find yourself trying to recruit the the next greatest uh, military aviator and you have a it's i'm guessing it's tough i'm guessing it can be a hard sell, but I'm guessing you guys get it done. I mean, and you know, we want, we certainly, you know, we want, because we're the army, um, you know, we want the best young, young, brightest individuals, young and women and uh, young women and men out there to join our ranks. Uh, and certainly we want the talent, right? It's mm-hmm. all about talent management. And, uh, more so, and that's the direction that the army's going is to ensure, you know, you've, if you've got an aptitude, let's say you've never flown in your life, you, you know, as opposed to, you know, having your private pilot's license, but if you've got the aptitude for it and we're able to, to know that going into it, and I can see there that, hey, this, this person has an aptitude through, through some standardized testing. This person has the aptitude to be a pilot to be an aviator. And so, uh, you know, we want to jump on that. We certainly want to, given, given our shortages, we certainly want that capability. I said, okay, so back to the scenario I brought up a couple of minutes ago, let's say I am 18, 19, I just graduated high school. I walk in or I listen to this podcast and I reach out to, to recruiter. Let's say you were the recruiter and I'm the 19 year old or 18 year old and I want to be an Apache pilot. What's kind of a, Talk me through what you would say, how uh, how that would how that would go, and some of the benefits and, and stuff. So I would probably start out by saying, "Great, we've got this great program, one officer flight training program. Um, I'm going to help you. It requires you to to put a packet and get recommendations, letters of recommendation. We're going to put your packet together. It's going to require a physical. Uh, what's your eyesight? You know, currently." And so I want to make sure that you're going to meet all those requirements up front. So we're going to kind of cover all those requirements, uh, physical, and then, and then there's some aptitude tests. You've got to take the, the flight aptitude test. <clears throat> I'm going to schedule for all those. So while I'm, while I'm also recruiting you to join the Army and meet all the Army requirements, I'm also looking at what all the aviation army aviator requirements that are out there um and and more specifically with that would be that you know what's the the warrant officer aviator requirements out there so so that's kind of there's there's two paths that i'm going we're kind of parallel each other because there's there's physical requirements i can that are required to get you just into the army and then there's other requirements on top of that, like vision requirements that require you that you're needed to be common aviator, right? So I'm sitting down, I'm explaining that whole to you. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you through the whole process, what it looks like in terms of your training. You're going to go off to basic training and then you're going to go to warrant officer candidate school to learn how to become a warrant officer. And then you're going to go off to flight school and then your, your flight school ranking is important and that will determine which aircraft you end up in. Um, so there's a, you know, all algorithms that are established that 
that feed into your performance throughout flight school and determine in what aircraft you will qualify to fly. And then based on that, what the Army's needs are for you to fly that aircraft. So kind of back to my point earlier is, you know, let's say there was only two Apache slots. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't one or two in my class. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be flying. Now there may have been an, an opportunity down the road to switch over aircraft um, and have multiple aircraft qualifications. But typically as a warrant officer, you don't, you don't get that. You might, you might get one or two opportunities to do that. Um, you know, I'm not qualified in the Blackhawk, excuse me, and I'm not qualified in the, in the Chinook. Um, but there are those out there that, that are. Um, so I think just setting the expectations to know, run through the whole thing to where, hey, I understand you want to become a Apache pilot, but, you know, at the end of the day, you may end up being a Blackhawk pilot or, or you may not meet the, the physical requirements to become an Army aviator to begin with. And that's just a process that we have to go through to figure that out. What is, you, uh, what is the number one aircraft or a helicopter that someone would choose? Is there like, is the Apache like the number one? Do they want to fly the Gulfstream? What do they want to fly? So I'd say it's uh, maybe it's fixed wing now. Back when I was in, that wasn't like I said, that wasn't an option. You had a, that was a separate board, that was a separate system. To become a fixed wing pilot mm-hmm. in the army, but for now, it's probably fixed wing. Um, you know, when I was in or when I went through flight school, uh, you know, the majority of pilots wanted to fly Blackhawks, um, and even when I was a flight instructor at Fort Rucker and sponsored some of the flight classes. You know, I talked to some of those guys that were going through flight and gals that were going through flight school and said, you know, what do you want to fly? And the majority of them would say Blackhawks. And I'd say, well, why, why do you want to fly Blackhawks? And they said, well, because they, they fly, they fly more than Apaches do. And I'm saying, really? I said, do you, do you know what's your, what's your minimum hour requirement to fly in a Blackhawk? And they may or may not know that because they're depending on where they are in flight school. But I would tell them that I would say, well, the the minimum requirement for flying Apache is higher than what it is for flying a Blackhawk, um, just because of the complexities of it. So, you know, a little bit misnomer there. And I can tell you that in at, when I was flying in Iraq, you know, our high time guys uh, during that deployment were actually the highest time guy were the 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 58Ds, the Kyrie Warrior guys, the Lilberg guys. Those guys flew their butts off. But yeah. the second guys were the Apache guys. Um because they were flying all the time. They were trying flying, you know, over Baghdad 24-7. So you know it's kind of a, a little bit of a misnomer out there. That, you know, talking to these young impressionable flight students that they thought that you know, the reason they wanted to fly Blackhawks was because they flew more than Apaches. Mm. I was like, well, well, you know, maybe, right, yeah. <laughs> maybe not. So yeah. it depends. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. It's interesting how people can, can think that they maybe know more than the recruiter or know more than someone in there. But yeah, it's uh, people come up with their own ideas all the time. Well, I think also they were, they were basing it off of, you know, what their primary flight instructor, you know, their primary flight instructor was probably a retired, 
you know, army aviator had been retired for 10 or 15 years or so. And then, you know, Apaches were, were just being fielded and they were broken all the time and they never flew. And you don't want to fly Apaches. You, you need to fly Blackhawks gotcha. because they're more reliable and they'll fly more. Well, you know, that might've been true 10 or 15 years ago when this, when this, you know, contractor or DA civilian, um, was back on active duty, but it's not necessarily the case today. And it certainly isn't the case in, in a wartime environment. So that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, thing, like yeah. we said, things change. It goes to when, when you started flying and people getting jobs, it changed out. People get jobs now. So things are constantly changing. What might be the worst of the worst is could now be the best of the best. So, I mean, you're, you never know. All right. So this section that I do now is called the rapid fire section. So it is a bunch of aviation questions. Uh, they're not really military related. So it's just kind of like a fun round, like favorite airplane, favorite this, favorite that. And you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. And when I ask airplane, you can say airplane or helicopter, whichever one, because obviously I'm, I'm more of a fixed wing guy. So the question might say, uh, or might be airplane, but you can mention a helicopter if you'd rather as well. Okay. All right. The first one is what is your favorite airplane or aircraft you've ever flown? E-model Apache, H-64 E-model. Getting very specific. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> what You're, you're going to give me the serial number on it next. Be like, this is the yeah, only yeah. What is your favorite airplane or kind of like your dream airplane or aircraft that you wish you always had the chance to fly? P-40. That'd be cool. Warhawk. What is, um, when you did your training, you started with fixed doing, what were you flying? I was flying a PA-28-140. Oh, nice. No, is that right? Uh, yeah. Some kind of small Piper Cherokee. Piper. Yeah, Piper, Piper Cherokee. Cherokee. There you go. Yeah. Uh, did you have any experience in a Cessna or is it just a Piper? Just a Piper. Gotcha. What was uh, your favorite airport you've ever flown to? This can be military side and then I'll ask civilian side if you remember. Wow. Um, used to, when I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, we'd fly down to uh, Myrtle Beach. Um it was a good flight. It's good. You know, I did that a lot of times with a lot of our uh, commissioned officers that were on their last flight before they leave the unit. And we just fly down there and do a little cross country flying down there, have lunch and then and fly back. So that was always it was always fun to fly out to the coast and back. So I'd say probably middle, which was Grand Strand, I think, was the yeah, airport. Been yeah. a Grand Strand a lot. Yeah. What is your least favorite airport you've ever flown to? Um, boy, however you want to answer it. Um, oh, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, probably I, I, I gotta tell you, it's probably something in our, in Iraq, let's say Taji Iraq, which was an airfield in Iraq is probably, you know, coming in and out of there. You just never know what to expect, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, whether it's going to be some, some small arms fire or some surface to, to air, uh, missile fire at yeah. you. So I'd probably say Taji Iraq. What was, what would you say has been kind of the best flight you've ever had? It could be, maybe you, you were able to do some air support and help out some people on the crew. It could be your first solo. It could, what, what was kind of like, you look back on it. What was your favorite flight you've ever had? Um, probably, Wow. I've got several. So, um, so, okay. So uh, even though I'd already soloed in a helicopter, um, probably my, my solo flight in the army, 
and it was funny because my flight instructor tried to get me to to be the first one in the class because I already knew how to fly, you know, already flew. So he was trying to get me to be the first one in my class to solo. Uh, and I think I ended up being like the third just because the way that I was late getting off or something like that. So, um, but probably that. And then um, I got to support um, out in California. So I flew from, I was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and I got to fly out to Long Beach, California and spend a week in Long Beach, California uh, on the set of Transformers 3. Oh, cool. So that was a, that was a pretty cool, that was a pretty cool uh, flight out to, out to California, probably more so the week I spent uh, on the set of Transformers Three, but that was pretty cool. So your movie high point then. had no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. I've got a couple. A uh, couple of cameo shots in there. I had a. I had a speaking part, but it ended up on the uh, on the cutting room floor. But uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> that is really cool. You never know the experiences you might get. You know, it's crazy. That's right. That's yeah. cool. What is what's one thing about flying in the army? or just being in the army that was a very kind of that you really enjoyed that you didn't know about before. So maybe something that like most people don't know about going in the army that you just loved, if that's possible to answer. Yeah. Just the camaraderie that's, that's associated with the army uh, and probably more so, you know, the army's we like to refer to, especially in army aviation. Now army aviation is, is, you know, it's kind of a small world. So um, you know, you don't know everybody in it, but certainly, um, the people that you serve with, you'll know some of the same people, uh, especially, and then more so even on the, the attack side. Um, so, uh, but it's just that kind of close knit group, you know, and, and like I said before, you know, once you go to war with those guys and gals, there's an instant bond there. I mean, lifelong bond uh, that you'll have with those with those individuals. So, what was uh, your least favorite food that you had to eat at an army base? Ooh, uh, probably grits. Oh, come on, man. Grits are the best. <laughs> oh my God. It's not army grits. So going through basic training, I'd never, now I'm from the Northeast, right? So yeah. So I'd never eaten grits. I didn't know what grits were. That's fine. Uh, so I get to uh, basic training in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and I'm going through basic training. And so you're burning a bazillion calories a day going through basic, right? And I wasn't a big guy to begin with. And so I'm like, okay, it's breakfast time. I'm going to eat as much as they will put on my plate, right, to get me through the day. And so I... Uh, you know, grits, everything, it doesn't matter. You put it on my plate, I'm going to eat it, right? <laughs> and boy, I hit those grits. I was like, all right. Yeah, lesson learned on the grits. <laughs> so, that's funny. yeah, I'm not a grit fan, but that's just that's just the way it is. What was your favorite food that you ever had in the Army? So, I was, uh, during, my, during my Bosnia tour, uh, I got to fly a mission down to, um, I believe it was... Uh, I think it was NATO headquarters, Zagreb, uh, in, uh, and I can't remember if that was uh, in Serbia, Croatia, but flew down there and, and it was just for an overnight. I was doing a, uh, what was I doing? I think we were covering a UH-60 uh, with a general officer on board. 
or a CH-47 because he had some vehicles. So flying escort for a, a CH-47. Um, and we flew down and we spent the night at, at uh, NATO, I think it was NATO headquarters. And their dining facility uh, was incredible. <laughs> I mean, they had some world-class chefs in there making up some some pretty incredible food. So in terms of being out in the middle of nowhere in um, Bosnia, and then roll in there and walk into this dining facility. And they had, I mean, it just the food was incredible. Did you recruit them to come to the army? Be like, hey, you know, come to the army. We can, uh, we can get you on yeah, there. Yeah. Chef. But it was, you know, it was all contracted, but they had some world-class chefs there. And I That's mean, it awesome. was, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. Let's say you are, uh, let's say you're on the civilian side. You are, maybe you're making a connection flight. You got about an hour to get some food at an airport. What's your go-to airport food to go? I guess I'm probably going to go with, well, that's a tough one. I know, right? I know. All right. So for me, whenever I'm traveling, I travel quite a bit. So for me, it's always, it's always Dunkin' Donuts. So I got to hit a Dunkin' Donuts because only, because we don't have a whole lot of them in in Kentucky to begin with. Uh, I grew up with them in the Northeast. So I'd say probably it's going to be a Dunkin' Donuts um, and, and it'll be, you know, it'll be some gut bomb donut, uh, and a cup of coffee. That was my next question. Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks? Yeah. Uh, so oh, I'm guessing Dunkin'. So, yeah. Dunkin' Donuts, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Sorry. No, Hey, don't apologize to me. I actually, on my Instagram, I actually, I prefer Dunkin' black coffee over Starbucks black coffee. Oh, absolutely. Any day of the week. And I get yeah. a lot of, I get a lot of, a lot of crap on that from, <laughs> from people on Instagram, which is really funny, but yeah, Dunkin' black yeah. coffee all the way. What, um, all right. Uh, what's your favorite uh, TV sitcom? Uh, back in the day it was Seinfeld. I, my wife and I just finished Seinfeld. So I'm really glad you just answered that question. Who is your favorite Seinfeld character? Uh, probably Kramer. Uh, we have a lot in common. Kramer is, might be the best TV character of all time. <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you, I'm, uh, even before that, I am a big mash fan. All right. That makes sense. I am. And that, and probably became even more so spending time in Korea. So yeah. So mash and Seinfeld, those are the two. Those are the two. What, uh, what did you do for fun when you're on base? Like, I'm guessing there is some downtime and you got to have some kind of fun. What was kind of, uh, would you play football, soccer, basketballs, or gamble? I don't know, play poker? <laughs> a workout. I'm okay. a runner. So run and workout. Of course, hit the, uh, the occasional watering hole. Yeah. Um, which, you know, when you get a bunch of army aviators together, um, you know, it's always for a good, a good time. Absolutely. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. What is, uh, last two. Oh yeah. Last, yeah. Last two. What is, uh, the most beautiful aircraft you've ever seen? Could be a fixed wing, could be a helicopter. Um, I'm probably going to go with, uh, P 51 Mustang. All right. This one's harder for most people to answer. And I have my own answer and everyone that listens here knows my answer, but what is the ugliest airplane or aircraft you've ever seen? You just look at it and you're like, that is why, why would you create that? <laughs> Um, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, my answer is the Piaggio. If you know what that is. No, I don't. I don't you know should, what you that should is. look it up when you're done. It's a, it's a very capable aircraft, very fast, but it's like, it looks like a catfish. What's it called again? Piaggio. 
Piaggio. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll adopt that one as, uh, as mine <laughs> <Perfect>. also. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. I'll, I'll look it up. <laughs> all right. Well, Troy, those are all the rapid fire questions I have for you. Uh, oh, I mean, okay. Yeah. You successfully passed. So congratulations. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking with you. I want you to go ahead and, uh, share uh, a little bit more about the, the army day or the army, the next three days, what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, Army's National Hiring Days. So uh, once again, 30 June, uh, starting tomorrow and through July 2nd, and that's where we're kind of making our big push. Uh, it's it's done. We're do you know we're doing this because of COVID. You know, we had to kind of even though we were using social media to kind of get after recruiting, we we had to because of COVID, we had to go to 100% initially, 100% virtual in terms of our recruiting efforts. And then also, so, you know, whether it's Instagram, FaceTime, um, I think those were kind of the, the, the big ones that we're using currently, Twitter, of course, and then also with the job sites. So with Indeed, Google Jobs, LinkedIn, you know, we're, we're using those also. But um yeah, it's just uh, you know, just if if you're wanting to if if you're wanting to know any information about the army and, and what the army has to offer, uh, that's absolutely the way to go. Uh, I was kind of looking for our uh, website. Um, you can always find it through here. It is right here. So www.goarmy.com forward slash hiring days. Uh, and that'll, that'll take you through the, the whole thing in terms of what the army has to offer in terms of, of its careers, uh, the 150 jobs that are available in the army. And then certainly the extensive, um, benefits packages that, that come with that. So whether it's, whether it's through bonuses, uh, can, you know, we also, I don't know if we mentioned it. So the tuition assistance that's also available on top of the GI bill. So there's just a multitude. And I, you know, I'd kind of challenge your listeners to, to go out and, and take a look at it if they've got any interest of what's, what's available out there. Um, and then certainly, um, get up with what your, your local recruiters and they'll take you through the whole thing and explain anything in detail. And um, uh, just appreciate your your time and support there. Just yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I appreciate all of the military services uh, at Ohio State with Coach Tressel and Coach Meyer. They just preached about how important and how great the the military is, and just uh, I've always just had an appreciation. So anything I can do to help give back and to help out, I'm more than willing to do. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I, I, you know, great opportunity to have me. I, I can't thank you enough, and I, I certainly appreciate and thank you for your your continued support uh I'm, I'm hoping one of these days maybe when our paths will cross i get to meet you in person yeah let's make it happen that'd be great i'd love for that to happen but i appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing a little bit about your story being a little open and vulnerable and uh letting people know more about you so i think this is going to be received well and i look forward to getting this out quickly tomorrow so awesome. usually it takes a couple weeks but uh we're gonna make this work and get this out for tomorrow to help you guys out great thanks so All much right. justin i appreciate it Avi Nation, that is a wrap of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, email me, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. And if you're a nurse in the Army, go ahead and check them out. There'll be some swipe up links. The website is goarmy.com backslash hiring days. And that's going on between June 30th and July 2nd. Like I said earlier, 150 career fields and 10,000 positions. So if you feel the need to serve, if you ever just thought you wanted to serve, go ahead and check that out. And I appreciate your time. Appreciate you listening 
listening today, uh, this came up a little bit quick. So normally on Tuesday, I was going to release Kareem's episode. So sorry, Kareem, but you're probably likely going to be coming.